the rapture does not happen, um, we are going to make it to the end of this chapter as we sit here and we discover, we read about what our new home is going to be like. So let's stand and let's read together from verse 9. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, the berries ushers, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. So kind of just picture a Rubik's Cube here, just a giant one. Then he measured its wall, 124 cubics, according to the measure of man. So we can understand these numbers, or at least the volume of it, that is of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold. Like clear glass. We can't even imagine that. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And Father, this morning, may you stir in us. May you impart to us, Lord, the greatness of who you are and Lord, would you cause us to think on and consider our new home, a place that Jesus has prepared for us, his bride. Oh, God, speak to us. May your word find good soil within each one of our hearts that fruit would be born, that others in this world could partake of as you would use us for your kingdom and your glory. So God, please just bless our study this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The the title of my message today, well, it's obvious. This is our new home. This is our new address. And in this holy city, saints of the old covenant and saints in the new covenant will be united. I mean, just think about sitting down and talking with Noah for a while. Hey, What was it like building the ark? Or if that's a little too manly for you, hey, go sit down and talk with Mary or Queen Esther. What was it like? 
You know, last week in verse 1, John saw the new heaven and the new earth coming down out of God's heaven. And as he's looking, as he's staring, as he's allowing his mind to kind of grasp what he's seeing, he sees this one amazing city. His eyes are drawn to, he is fixated on the beauty and the glory and the splendor of this one city that is amongst this new heaven and new earth. Remember last week? We, that's all we get, four words to describe the new heaven and the new earth. That's it, new heaven, new earth, that's it. And for the next 1,600 plus words, he's going to describe this one city that's coming down out of heaven that's in the midst of this new heaven and this new earth. And John's first description of this city that he sees, it was in verse 2, if you look back, the city looked as it, as it was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It was breathtaking. The most awesome sight any man will ever behold is his bride on this earth. And that's how John describes her. That's, descri that's how John describes what he's looking at. And then after a brief conversation with God, if you missed last week, you need to hear that. You need to look at that. You're going to see God's heart and what he's looking forward to for all of eternity. It's online. Go listen to it. It's amazing what God is looking forward to us. I mean, he demonstrated his love for us through Jesus. But last week, when you look at what God has for us and what he's looking forward to, Man, it, it adds to what Jesus has accomplished for us. And after that conversation that John has with God, verse 9, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls with the seven last plagues. So John recognizes this guy. Obviously, angels are not all the same because he recognizes this one. This is one of those guys that had the seven last bowls of the seven last plagues. And he came to me, John says, and he talked with me, saying, come, I, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. This Greek word for show here carries with it the idea of to give evidence or to give proof of a thing. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and he showed me the great city. Same Greek word for showed. There's evidence here. There's proof of it. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God as John's mind is blowing. I mean, can you imagine what the glory of God must look like? Incredible. Now, I want you to notice as we go down through this, this city's already built. The only thing this city is awaiting for today is his occupants. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So she's a perfect gem in color and clarity. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. I don't know, maybe they're ushers to welcome you in each time you walk in through the gates. And names are written on the gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So what we see right here, this proves that God has not written off his people like part of the church says today. 
You know, that whole replacement theology where, well, God is done with the Jews and all those blessings he's given to the Christians. That's not true because God has the, the, the names of the 12 tribes on these 12 gates. So the question I have in my mind is, who are the 12 names? If you look through your Bible in the Old Testament, you find a lot of different lists with a lot of different names on the 12 tribes. Many of them are similar, but Joseph's removed in one list and Ephraim and Manasseh is added in. In another list, Reuben is, kept, is kicked out. So I wonder who these... Oh, but I'm going to kill a couple days and I'm going to walk around this city that has this wall that's 1,500 miles this way and 1,500 miles this way and 1,500 miles this way and 1,500 miles this way. And I'm going to look at the gates and I'll be able to tell you what those names are. Because if you don't walk with me, you're not going to know either. You always have to wonder. But it says there, there's three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. So you're going to have to walk the entire city to figure it out. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, please understand, the wall is not here to keep escaped people from the lake of fire out. The wall's not here to keep the enemies of God out. No way. See, they've already been cast into the lake of fire. And once you're cast into the lake of fire, you can never, ever get out, regardless of what religion says today. There's no such thing as purgatory. That's a re that, that, that's, if, you go on their, their, if you go on their website, they tell you how they come up with it, and you go, that makes no sense. Yeah, because they just made it up. Every person that failed to turn to Jesus as Lord and the, the devil and the fallen angels are in the lake of fire with zero chance of getting out. So don't think this wall is here to keep bad people out. So maybe the wall's here just kind of to define the city. You know, you see these massive skyscrapers and they have courtyards and fountains and steps and, 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 and you know, they kind of define the building that's, in, that's behind them. If you go to the Supreme Court today, I remember being there at ground floor, and you look up these steps, and the Supreme Court buildings in the back, you got the fountain over here to the right. The, the front really defines what's on the inside. Maybe that's what's going on here. One day soon, each one of us will take up residency in this holy city. It's the city where God's people are to dwell. So as we go through this, my, my encouragement to you is to become familiar with all of this. You know, watch out for the details. We're not going to be dumber in heaven. Trust me, we'll be a little smarter. And, and so, you know, when, when, when you see these things, other people may be going, gosh, what are all these stones representing? You can say, oh man, let me tell you. Those are the names, those are, each one of those is for the, one of the apostles. You don't know that? No, I didn't know. How do you know that? Well, they taught the Bible where I went. I mean, so let's learn details here. The city should capture our attention as we await the rapture. You and I, we've got to keep our heart and mind focused on heaven as we go through the trials of life, knowing that God's using those trials to prepare us as his bride for all of eternity. Now, before we, we move on, I, I see that there's tw 12 names of the 12 apostles, but that causes me to think, well, which 12? There was the original 12. There was Matthias. Others say it could be Paul. 
I hope we're a little surprised at which 12 there are. I'm not going to tell you what I think because you'd probably say, no way, it's because of this, this, and this. And I think God's grace is way greater than all we can imagine. God's word declares in Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. See, that's how we're all going to make it into heaven, team. By allowing the foundation that the apostles laid for us as they penned away the words of Jesus, showing you and I the way to get there. That's the foundation. It's the words that Jesus spoke to him. And he who talked with me, verse 15, had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. So it's a perfect cube. The dimensions on all the sides are the same. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel, so we can understand these numbers, team. The construction of the wall was jasper, and the city, the entire city, was pure gold. It does not say like pure gold. No, it says the entire city was pure gold, like clear glass, like you can see through it, like what about privacy? No, don't need it, because we'll be perfect. Pure gold like clear glass. Man, no doubt God loves beauty. And there is no expense spared in this holy city for those who in faith in the Old Testament were looking forward to the promise of Jesus coming, and for you and I, who've turned to him and are awaiting his return in this new covenant that we walk in. The foundations of the wall of the city that would normally be constructed of concrete on this earth, they were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. And I don't think these foundations that, you know, you think about a building, you, you, you dig out the ground, you pour the concrete. I don't think these foundation stones are in the dirt. How would John see them? Hey, uh, angel, what, what's over here? Oh, oh, there's all those precious stones down there. Well, let's get a shovel out and dig it up. I don't think that happened. I think they're above ground. And so they're stacked one on top of another. The first layer is this, is this layer of jasper. How thick is it? Doesn't say. How wide is it? Doesn't say. It's pure jasper. Put a price tag on that. You can't. And then stacked upon jasper, sapphire. And then the third stacked upon the sapphire is chalcedony. And the fourth, emerald. And here they are, they're just stacked up, creating this foundation for this wall. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardis. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. All precious gems. The tenth, chrysophase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. God spared no expense for the city, for his chosen people. That's us. Sure, there is chosen people in the Old Testament, but you know what? He chose you and me. We're his chosen people in the New Testament. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. I can guarantee you they're not made by an oyster. 
And each individual gate was of one pearl. So, you know, when people say, well, hey, you know, when we get up to the pearly gates, Peter's going to be in there. No, no, they're not pearly gates. They are a single pearl. That's what it says in your Bible. Can you imagine how big that pearl must be? This is all supernatural hand of God stuff here. God created all this. And if that's not enough to blow your mind, well, here you go. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Again, not like gold, but gold. Not concrete, not asphalt, not crushed rock, not granite, not paving stones, nothing like that. But gold, like the gold bead on the gospel bracelet. This entire giant city is clear gold that mankind is not even able to refine with all of their modern technology today. And see, I believe God is showing us by the use of his building materials in this holy city that people have always been more important to him than precious minerals and precious gems and precious stones. People have always been more important to him. Now, we all got to know about this city that when we do move in, I don't believe there's going to be any yard work. I can guarantee you there'll be no dusty. Nothing's going to be breaking down. No laundry, no dishes, no neighbor's dog pooping in your front yard. You know, has that ever happened to you? <laughs> no cats using your front yard as a litter box. No offense, cat people, but they do in my yard. I'd like to trap them. No offense, though. Can't, cut that out. I didn't really say that. <laughs> no painting. None of that stuff. But here's the big question in my mind as a builder as I go through this. How big is it? How big is it? Well, let's start with a cubit. In the New Testament, a cubit measures from the elbow to the length of the middle finger. Mine's 19 and a half inches. They say it averages 20, but let's make it 18 because it's simple math, you know, a foot and a half. We can all kind of grasp that. So the wall is 144 cubits, so that's 144 feet, plus half of 144 is 72, so the wall is 216 feet tall. That's pretty tall. So the wall around this entire city is about 216 feet. We read that each gate is a single pearl. So is that pearl 216 feet? I don't know. A typical house is 30 feet in the older homes in the woodlands, 35, 36 feet in the newer. This wall is 216 feet tall. The pearl is bigger than your house. I can guarantee you that. It's taller. Because the wall is 216. Your house is only 30 to 35 feet. I can guarantee you this pearl is taller than the peak of your house. Can you, I mean, can you even imagine that? I don't think we can. And if the single pearl that makes up each gate is as high as the wall, this is all supernatural. Why is God doing this? Because it's just another way of him proving to us how much he loves us. Now, that wall of 216 feet might seem a little tall for you, but let's put it into perspective as to how big the new Jerusalem, this holy city, really is. A furlong, the measure of a man, is 600 feet. So 600 feet times 12,000 furlongs is approximately 1,500 miles. So it's 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles this way. That's the flat of a cube, and it's 1,500 miles straight up. See, we can't even grasp, we can't fathom that. 
I think we can grasp this flat, but 1,500 miles up, I don't think we can grasp that. 1,500 miles is El Paso to Houston and back to El Paso. Or if you don't like that, it's from San Diego to Houston. That's 1,468 miles. Or if you don't like that, it's from Maine to Florida. That's 1,600 miles. That's only one dimension, one direction. And then you go over, 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 and you go up the same distance. So if you just look at the flat there, you're going, ah, this place might be a little crowded. No, that's because you forgot to go up 1,500 miles. So the math is 1,500 miles times 1,500 miles times 1,500 miles, and you end up with 3,375,000,000 cubic miles. And, and see, I don't think most of us can even kind of go, cubic miles is not exactly something I use all the day, everyday pastor. So how big is 3 cubic, 3 billion cubic miles? Size of the moon. The moon's 3 billion, so this cube has 3 billion, 75 million cubic miles inside it. The difference being is the moon is round and this, this holy city is it's square, like a cube. And as we go through this, I'm going to remind us more and more this is only one city that John saw that he details out. Look back at verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. No description. And he details out one city here. A lot's been written as to what this new city actually is going to look like. We know the outside dimensions, but what's it going to look like on the inside? And they're all guesses. But I have my own guess, being a builder. I want to call it a God-sized giant skyscraper. I don't, it's going to be tall. So let's just say it's like a, built like a skyscraper. And if the New Jerusalem were a huge skyscraper that had 1,500 mile-high floors, you know, here, get on the elevator, floor one. 1,500 miles up, floor two. 1,500 miles up, floor three. Okay, first of all, I don't think there's going to be an elevator there, but, but just for us to try and grab it, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, when you multiply those two numbers together, that's how you come up with square feet. You know, this is my building lesson for today. So if you're going to redo a, you know, a room, you go, well, how much square foot is my carpet? Just this number times that number. That's it. That gives you square feet. So on 1,500 miles this way and this way, that's 62 trillion, 726 billion, 400 million square feet per floor. We can't even grasp that. Now, if each mansion on the first floor was built on a 50,000 square lot plus a mile high up to the next floor, you would have 1,254,528 mansions per floor. Now, if you do that one floor, go up a mile, two floor, go up a mile, and you do that all the way up to 1,500 miles, you would have 1,881,792,000,000 total mansions with a mile in between each floor. Now, here's what's wrong with that number. Even though those are 50,000 square foot lots, they're not big enough because people have estimated, though this world counting thing estimates that there have only been 107 billion people that have ever lived on this earth and with a 50,000 lot, we got enough to build 1,881,000,000,000 homes. So the lot's got to be way bigger than 50,000 square feet. And again, that's just flat. That's not going up. 
as I read further, this 107 billion number, they started out like millions of years ago. So the number is actually less than 107 billion. So let's go bigger lots. But before we do that, just out of curiosity, can we multiply out the square footage on each floor times the second floor a mile up times the third floor a mile up all the way up to 1,500? Just kind of come up with a number, you know? We know there's 62,726,400,000,000 square feet on each floor. Go up a mile, up another mile, and when you add up the total floor space, if there's a floor every mile all the way up to 1,500 feet, you come up with a number that's 94 quadrillion, 89 trillion, 600 billion square feet with a mile in between each floor. And you don't think it's going to be big enough for you? Seriously. Now, if we give everyone a square mile to live in, is that going to be big enough for you to make you happy? You know, I kind of want space, you know, I kind of crowded in my house here. Well, is a, is, a, is, a square, is a square mile big enough for you? Well, I don't know how big a mile is. Okay, well, how about 27,878,400 square feet? Is that, is that big enough for you? Your house is only like, you know, from 1,200 to maybe 3,000, 3,500. How about 27 million square feet? Is that going to be big enough just for you? Or be that, will that be a little tight? Well, I don't, I don't understand square feet. Okay, how about this? 640 acres. They're all the same. Six, 640 acres is 27,878,400 square feet. Same number. Just different, just different uh, way to look at it. Is 640 acres big enough for you? Does 648 acres get you a little excited as we walk through this life going, oh, yeah, yeah, none of that stuff bothers me, man. I've got 640 acres I'm moving to. Woohoo! Praise the Lord. Bring those trials on. I mean, does it get you a little excited? Or it's like, nah, man, I'm just going to be bummed out. Got 640 acres I'm moving to that's all of pure gold. If everyone got 640 acres and the New Jerusalem, this one city, could contain 3.3 billion people with a mile of space in between each floor. Cut 640 acres times a mile high per person. Let's cut it in half. Let's cut that. Six, let's, how about 320 acres? Is that, is that okay? 320 acres times a mile high up to the next floor well, you've just doubled the occupancy of the holy city to 6.6 billion. You got your 320 acres, you got a mile high. You can do whatever you want with that mile high. That's 5,280 feet. You can build on it whatever you want up to the next floor. Now, just so you have an idea as to what 320 acres looks like. Okay, again, that's not going up. All we're looking at is a single dimension here, flat. If you were to add up all the, wood, all the land in the woodlands, which is 27,000 acres, and you were to give each person in the woodlands 320 acres, you would only have 84 people living here. 9.3 people per village. Trust me, I tr checked the math, triple checked the math, quadrupled the math. 320 times 84 is 27,000. It's actually, it's a little short. So 84 people in all of the woodlands, would that be too crowded for you? 9.3 people per village. You'd have your own subdivision all yourself. Is that, probably have a couple subdivisions all yourself. Is that, would that get you a little excited? Again, that's only on the flat, man. That's not 5,280 feet uh, stacking up. It's not enough for you for all of eternity. 
And again, please keep in mind, this is only one city that John's detailing out here. Shrink each floor height down to 2,640 feet or a half a mile in between floors. And uh, 2,640 feet is the tallest building in the world. It's over in the Middle East. You still get your 320 acres. You still get nine people per village in the woodlands. But there's only 2,640 feet up. Hey, the city can now hold 13 billion people. I mean, you take that 2,640, cut it in half, now you're holding 26 billion. Next thing you know, we're at, we're exceeding the population again. Again, keep, please keep in mind, all we know in this whole thing, it's 1,500 miles times 1,500 miles times 1,500 miles up. You have to kind of let your own imagine kind of go wild as to what it looks like inside the cube. But this is all God's word gives us here. How things are laid out inside the cube, it's kind of a wait and see mystery. All we know is it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be made out of pure gold. Because the Bible tells us that. Look back at verse 18. John says that this entire city is made out of pure gold. The walls, the roads, the ceiling, no brick, no carpet, no wood. It's all gold. Transparent gold. So clear. It would be impossible in today's economy to determine the worth of this city because our calculators do not go up that high. We'd have to invent numbers. And we'd have to invent numbers to invent those numbers. And yet this is the city that Jesus has went away to prepare for you, his bride. Wow. Maybe he really does love me. Yeah, yeah, he does. Short commercial break for a moment just so... See, you and I, we have to be able to have conversations with people. When people say things, we need to have, be able to have a conversation back rather than just letting them say something. Have you ever heard people sarcastically say, well, God or the church just wants my money. That's why I don't go. Have you ever heard that? I have. I mean, how foolish to ever think that. After you read about this amazing city that God has that's made out of pure gold, you really think God wants your money? That's ridiculous. God doesn't need your money. Maybe people use that as an excuse so they can worship their almighty money, their almighty God dollar. You know, God has given us, his children, the privilege of investing his money that he's given us back into his eternal kingdom that's going into our bank account. Not, it's, not, it's not his, no. We can invest into it, and it goes into our bank account. You know, the whole receiving of tithes and offerings that God receives, it's, it's not an obligation, it's a privilege. And you get to stash it away in a place where rust will not destroy and where thieves will not break in. And God has every bit of it accounted for you. So when you get to heaven, whatever you send ahead, it's yours. Sorry, I'm not going to share with you because I probably won't even know what that means. But it's mine. It's what I sent ahead. Now, I'm not real sure how God does that with me and my wife because I usually write the check or now I just push send on online payments. So, but I'm sure she gets half of it. So how does that all work out? I don't know. But Jesus talks about it. It's there. It's waiting. I mean, look back at verse 19 where the precious stones are all listed. God's not broke. God doesn't need anything. 
What's the price tag on that foundation for the wall that's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles? I mean, how thick and how wide is each precious stone? It, it doesn't say. And, and you're telling me that God needs our money? That's ridiculous. And as you follow this all the way down, it just speaks to us that truly our God does own all the cattle on a thousand hill, on a thousand hills, and a thousand other hills, and a thousand other hills. You know, God's not up there printing more money to try and keep everything balanced. No, none of that nonsense. Money has no value in heaven unless you send it ahead. And then it pays back in eternal dividends. And I don't even know what that looks like other than what I read in the Bible. See, this is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. That's what Jesus said. I mean, that's an incredible promise for you and I, his kids. Well, how's that? How can God do that? Well, look at this one city he built. How can he not? Jesus is more than able to take care of his kids that are seeking him first. All of the money in the world would not be able to come close to buying even one floor, the, the bottom floor of this holy city that's made out of pure gold. All the money in the world couldn't buy it. And our Jesus has all of this and much more for us as kids that were faithful to, faithful to him to the end. Not perfect, David wasn't, but faithful. So this is what awaits us. Paul writes in Hebrews 12, verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You know, a lot of times people say, well, every time you see fear in the Bible towards God, that means reverence. Well, hey, and uh, Paul wrote in Hebrews 12, 28, that we may have grace and serve God with reverence and with godly fear. The two separate words. You need them both. You need all three. You need grace, you need reverence towards God, and you need some godly fear to keep you moving forward and keep you out of stuff that wants to get you in trouble. It's critical in our lives. Fear of the Lord is critical in our lives. Just like the reverence of God is critical in our lives and the grace of God is critical in our lives. The city is our new home that awaits us, team. Thinking on us, I believe, will cause us to live differently. You sit here and you run your own numbers. Create your own, you know, you know it's 1,500 miles. I'll give you that. Now create your own in space inside the cube. That's 1,500 miles high. We read in Hebrews 11 that Abraham waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And, and, and all he had was a tent to live in, but he believed the promise. That's the city here that he believed in, team. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as God seeks to remind us and stir us up, team, what our destiny really is. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It's going to be amazing. But I saw no temple in it, verse 22. Obviously, John was looking for a temple. Every, every city has a temple or something, a religious... No, not in this one. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. That's singular temple, by the way. There's only one. And think about this crazy thought. This entire city is the holy temple team, 1,500 miles cubed. Everywhere you go, the reflection and holiness of Jesus shines 1,500 miles high. 
1,500 miles wide. Clear, like clear, transparent glass. That's what the city's made of. And then all of a sudden you bring the lamb and the glory of God into it. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated the lamb. Jesus is its light. And that light is going to penetrate all the way through this entire city and beyond. Nothing to maintain, nothing to distract, no clocks to keep an eye on. No, it's just us walking in God's presence. And the nations, the word would be ethnic, and the ethnic groups of those who are saved, because you've got to be saved. And that's saved from death. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. So who are these kings? Don't know. Too many theories out there. Can't we just let them be earthly kings? It's pretty simple that way. They're earthly kings. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. So seems like there's no need for sleep. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So please, again, imagine the glory of God shining on all of these beautiful stones and golden streets, and they're all reflecting off one another. You know, I put this new door in our front, front and when the sun hits it, it it's, has this stained glass and it's got all these weird figurations and it shoots all these weird designs right up our stair, stairwell when that sun hits it just right. That's what this is going to be like. It's going to be like a New Ager's dream. The only problem is, is that their rocks and their mystical crystals and all that other nonsense that they're trusting in is never going to get them and make them worthy enough to get into heaven. They're going to miss out on the spectacular place here. Also, please notice there'll be no energy crisis in this town for Jesus will light this place up. No green energy, no coal, no electricity. Look, look at verse 22 and 23 as you ask Mr. Mormon or Mr. Jehovah Witness, are there two temples in this new Jerusalem if Jesus is not God? For us, it's like, no, that's stupid. Yeah, that's right. Because there's only one table, temple because Jesus is God. In verse 24, we read of those who are saved. 20 times we read of the need to be saved from a spiritual death in the New Testament. I would hope and I would think that should catch our attention about this need to be saved from death if we're not already. Have you been rescued from death and brought into the light of Jesus Christ? Only you can answer that. And either you have positively been saved from this death and brought into this relationship into the light of Jesus Christ, or you haven't. There's no, well, um, I, I think so. No. You either are and you know or you haven't. Either Jesus has become in your heart as Savior and Lord and is transforming your life into his image or he's not. Now, we're all going to grow differently. Different rates, different paces. But when Jesus moves in, he's going to start rearranging things. He's either in or he isn't. 
you've turned to him or you haven't. So are you rescued from death is the question of the ages. We read in verse 25 that the gates shall not be shut at all. This is a double negative, strengthening the denial, that meaning no way, not at all, shall these doors, these gates ever be shut. Once you're there, you can enjoy God's presence and his beauty for eternity. But verse 27, but there shall be, but there shall by no means. Same meaning as in verse 25. It's a double negative here. Thus strengthening the denial here of no way, baby, will anyone get into this place. No one. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Nothing ungodly will get in here. Anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, no entrance. And see, until I turn to Jesus, I've got all kinds of things that defile and cause an abomination to God. But when I turn to Jesus, all of that is wiped away. When I turn to Jesus and allow his blood to cover over my, over my sin, all of that stuff is wiped away on the day of salvation. The only people getting into heaven are those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So let me ask you, are you written in? You have to be written in before you die. The Bible says this appointed man wants to die and then to judgment. You got to be written in. You remember what was going on in the, the world when John was writing this? Remember what the world was like? How it, how it viewed the Christians? Rome hated the Christian. The church was being persecuted by Rome, by the Roman government. And yet, can you hear John by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying to his flock in the midst of the persecution around 96 AD, the key to survival in the midst of everything that's going on around you is to keep your eyes focused on heaven. See, as you keep your eyes focused on heaven, you'll endure all kinds of crazy things. Jesus said, and John recorded these words in John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, plural. For not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus has been preparing this place for us for the last 2,000 years, team. And see, that's what you and I want to focus on in the midst of craziness in this world today. If you take your focus off of eternity and get caught up in the cares and the concerns of this world today, you're going to be like Peter when he was walking on the water. And what did he do? He sunk. Why? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus. You and I, man, we need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus or have our eyes fixed on eternity or have, place your eyes on this new city. Without it, you'll seek into the ocean of depression. Why? Because you're focusing on the wrong things. And that's your choice. You've chosen to focus on that. But to the extent that you set your heart on things above because you've been raised with Christ, as you think about this holy city that Jesus has went away to prepare for you, chapter 21 is a great look here when the temporary trials of life try to drag you down. Now you just got to think about where you're headed. Ah, that's nothing. This is just a temporary thing. Yeah, because God will bring another one. And that one will come to a pass as well. 
And to the extent that you set your heart on things above is to the extent which you will be free from defeat and, and in discouragement on this earth. But team, it's a choice. You have to choose to set your mind on things above. The Bible commands us to, but you have to choose every day to set your mind on things above. If you don't, guess where you're going to set your mind? On things on the earth. You won't even have to work at it. You'll naturally just go there. But if you set your mind on things above, not only will you walk biblically and think biblically, you'll impact the world biblically for Jesus Christ. But it's a choice. My hope is, is as we go through today and next week, that this remaining book will stir something up and get us so excited for where we're moving towards. You know, when you're younger, you went on vacation. Oh, we're so excited. Well, hey, we're in a sense going on vacation. But you know what? It will never end. It will go on and on and on for all of eternity. And you're never going to have to do anything but enjoy Jesus' presence. May we all be heavenly minded, Jesus-loving, others-loving people as we seek to influence those people that are around us as we await this new Jerusalem. It's critical. And again, the only way you're getting into this awesome place is to, turn the lo- is, ter- is to turn one's loyalty over to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Each one of us, before we came to Christ, we are loyal to one person and one person only, ourselves. But when Jesus called us, we turned and gave him the loyalty, allowed him to be Lord. And when that happened, that city, this city right here became ours. You're not working towards this city Nope, the city became yours the moment you turned to Jesus. And this morning, if you've never turned, if you're not saved from death, you've never turned to Jesus, and you know all about these things, listen, if Jesus comes back, chances are you'll never get in if you don't turn today, because he could come back tonight. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, 